Welcome back to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Kay. Every week, we discuss and dissect the music and bands we love to listen to. And today, we're bringing you another head-to-head episode, but this time, it's a little different. This time, it's frontman versus frontman as we break down the good and bad of Tim Ripper Owens versus Blaze Bailey. We're going to compare the careers of the two replacement singers during their time in Judas Priest and Iron Maiden, respectively, and see which of the two singers had a better replacement career. And later in the episode, it's a double Big Four as we offer our Big Four songs from the Ripper era of Judas Priest and the Big Four songs from the Blaze era of Iron Maiden. You'll want to stick around to the end of the episode to hear which songs we chose. And don't forget to check out our last episode where we chose our Big Four Queensryche songs. And as always, I'll have some Rusty Metal for you, and Chris has a new Freshly Forged pick for you. Rusty Metal is where I go back at least 25 years and pull out an album from my personal archives that I think is worth giving another listen to. And Chris offers up his opinion on a newly released album he thinks you're going to like. So to recap last week's episode, we went head-to-head with Queensryche's The Warning versus Rage for Order. So if you missed that or any of our previous episodes, click subscribe or follow wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and get our latest episode every Friday. We also want to interact with you guys and read your opinions. So if you like what we had to say or just want to rip us a new one, send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com or DM us on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. We'll also be uploading our episodes to YouTube in the near future, so check us out there. And while you're on our social media pages, be sure to check out Kenneth Dean with Rusty Metal Plus, where he gives more details on his Rusty Metal Pick of the Week. So Kenneth, what's your Rusty Metal Pick this week? I've noticed one thing that's been a trend on, on a lot of the, the, the um, Rusty Metals I've done lately. They've been a lot of EPs. So this one is going to continue in that trend. This is Twist's Sister's first release, Rough Cuts, an EP that came out in 1982. It was released on Secret Records. It was produced by Twisted Sister and Eddie Kramer. It was recorded at Baloney's Studio in Merrick, Long Island, New York, and Electric Lady Studios in New York City. All right, so side one contains What You Don't Know, Sure Can Hurt Them, and Shoot Them Down. Those were produced by Twisted Sister. Side two contains Under the Blade and Leader of the Pack, which were produced by Eddie Kramer. Now, Joey Brighton plays drums on side one, and Tony Petrie plays drums on side two. A.J. Pirro would join Twisted Sister in 1982 after the demos were recorded, but before they were released. All the songs on here, except for Leader of the Pack, were re-recorded for the debut album Under the Blade. Um, So there's four songs on here, as, as I mentioned, and... So three of them, three out of the four were, were on Under the Blade. Leader Pack was held off and actually was used later on. Uh, they re-recorded it for the Come Out and Play album. Now, Leader of the Pack, as cheesy as it seems, comes across a lot better on this Rough Cuts EP than it does on Come Out and Play. It, it's just so, something about it. I mean, it, it, it was funny because they used like the old... Uh, Fred Flintstone, Hanna Barbera car crashing noises during the during the part of the song where there's an actual car crash, and in the come out and play version, they used a legitimate car crash sound, and for some reason, trying to make it sound more legit made the song worse. I don't know what you know, I don't know if it was the overproduction of the album because Dieter Dirks was the one to produce come out and play, so I don't know if there was a 
the overproduction of it, but for some reason, because this version on Rough Cuts is so raw, it sound it, it, there's there's a better presentation, I guess you could say. So it, it really comes across extremely weird on come out as come out and play, and much better on Rough Cuts. But that's the cool thing about Rough Cuts. It's got an extremely raw sound that shows the power of Twisted Sister's performance. And, I mean, it's extremely dry. It's extremely rough. But at the same time, it sounds so in your face. It's, it's, a, it's one of the better demos that are out there, if you want to put it that way. But it's a really cool thing to hear because you hear this band at the beginning of their career getting ready to just basically blow everybody off the stage which they did on their performances because they were great performances and it would be uh, at this point it would be two years then stay hungry would come out and everything would change for them so anyway this ep is only available to get if you buy the remastered reissued version of under the blade which is the original mix uh it comes with those four songs on the on on the end of the album so it's really cool to get that and that's that's the only way to get it or you could probably listen to it you know on spotify or something like that or youtube but that's the only way you can get it and i have my version of it here on vinyl so all right uh so this week for my Freshly Forged pick, I actually picked uh, an artist that I'm not super familiar with, but I do um, recognize that they have kind of a, a strange career in their entrance into the uh, into the metal uh, community, I guess. And that's, uh, that's kind of why I picked it, I think, in a way. Like, there's a, there's a little bit of a tie-in to the, the strangeness of the way that uh, Tim Owens became part of Judas Priest, but uh, that's uh, James Durbin released a new uh, uh, new album under the title Durbin. Uh, it's called The Beast Awakens, uh, and it's honestly uh, I really like it. I listened to a few tracks um, while I was at work, but I didn't really get a, a good scope of it. But on my on my drive home, I uh, I listened to a few more, and and I really felt like this was a great power metal album if you're into power metal at all uh it's definitely worth checking out what's what's interesting about it is that it was completely recorded under covid restrictions so it was only james and his producer in the studio he outsourced a lot of the music uh had it recorded in other places brought it in it sounds great it's mixed very well together so you wouldn't even realize that it was recorded all over the place um so he's actually playing rhythm guitar and singing on the album um he wrote every track on the album which is pretty impressive and uh he brought in uh, John Yadden Jr., Mark Putnam, uh, Dylan Rose, and Nick Gallant uh, to do solos, and drummer Mike Vanderhul from Y&T, and uh, Barry Sparks that played with Ted Nugent, uh, Scorpions, and Dawkin on bass. Uh, so he's 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 got some you know power behind this. Some some guys that have uh, history in that in that vein of metal, and. Honestly, I was really impressed because, like I said, I, I'm not super uh, familiar with his work. I, I'm aware of his history with American Idol. Um, and, you know, that can always be viewed kind of negatively because it's like, you know, you didn't really 
have the the same kind of history to to you know build up your career but honestly i i don't care about that if somebody's got talent they've got talent if they, if that's what you know they they're doing and i can see like you know this guy put in all this effort he wrote all the songs himself and there's some really good tracks um the beast awakens the title track is awesome and then interesting interestingly enough uh kings before you features chris jericho and phil demel and it's a really awesome track the two of them harmonize really well and it's it's really enjoyable to listen to so if you wrote this off just thinking oh that's the american idol guy i I say don't check this one out it's really entertaining i think he moved past that american idol thing when he joined quiet riot Um, you'd think but but there's still that stigma yeah, I, you know it's weird. You know he played on stage with Judas Priest. Hell, you know he had he was he had the metal god on stage with him. Uh, you know I gi- I give props to James Durbin. I haven't listened to the album. Um, I hadn't heard it or anything like that. So uh, I actually hadn't heard that it was out. Um, I know he was working on it because uh, you know he he left Quiet Riot for a particular reason. And he's he's been vocal for a lot of things that have been going on or that went on when he was in Quiet Riot, um, and you know that's neither here nor there. He's trying not to say too many bad things or, or any bad things at all about Frankie, but he's he's still he's still had you know some uh, choice words about how his time in Quiet Riot kind of went. But regardless. Uh, he did say he was making an album, so I, I want to check this out because I, I like I, I like what you were saying about it. I mean, I like to check these things out. So, yeah, I don't. I really don't know anything about that. Um, so I'll have to I'll have to read up on that. But uh, I mean, I enjoyed the album. Uh, man, I don't know what to say about the Quiet Riot thing. <laughs> No, I mean, there's nothing to say, really. I mean, if you don't know anything about it, you don't know anything about it. I just, I was just reading a couple of interviews that he did, and he was just talking about how it was more about creative control uh, than anything else. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, he wanted to actually tour more, but I think maybe some of it was restricted by, you know, Frankie's ability to play more. I don't know, you know, but he, he wanted to tour more. They didn't, and, you know, they were, they were more of this kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, more of a business than than a band. I think it is the way he, he kind of felt it. It played itself out, but it is what it is at this point. I'll check out the album. Well, I, and, I would uh, say that that takes a big step to to move out of that because being a part of Quiet Right, um, you know, they're not the biggest band in the world, but at the same time, there's some clout to that. You know, you're the you're the lead singer of a of a band that's established and has a history behind it. And to feel like that's not enough and go out and venture on your own beyond that is, you know, that's kind of a cool move. So respect there. Yeah, it's it's a cool move. I I, I, uh, I wonder, my, my biggest question about all these bands that are, you know how we, we've, we've kind of been critical about some of these lesser bands that just basically tour clubs all the time? What I'm what I'm curious about, like for instance, I know that Anthrax. I believe when when uh, John Denied joined Anthrax, he's now a he's an employee of the band and he gets a salary, so he's getting paid 
a weekly salary or biweekly or monthly or whatever it is. He's getting money from them on a regular basis from the, from the revenue that they generate. <laughs> and, and it's curious to me to, 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 to know what kind of money these bands generate, you know, to, to be able to do these things, you know, cause I, you know, you hear so many bands, oh, I, I got to have a day job because, you know, this, this touring thing doesn't cut it for me. But then, you know, you see some of these other bands that, that, you know, like a testament that that's just, that's their whole life, just touring and playing and, and yeah, touring brings in the money, but it's, you know, they're playing clubs, so they can't, it's not bringing a ton of money. So the question is, how do they pay, you know, is, is the residuals from their early days when they were actually bigger, that, that big or, or generate that much money that they're able to do that? I, I would love to understand how that works. I don't know. <laughs> it's just a curiosity of mine. All right. Well, let's get on with tonight's topic. And tonight's topic is Tim Ripper Owens from Judas Priest versus Blaze Bailey from Iron Maiden. And these two guys were replacement singers for Rob Halford and Bruce Dickinson, respectively. Um, They came in at a tumultuous time for the band, uh, for both bands, actually. Iron Maiden, you know, were were coming off of some, some... Less than stellar albums, Bruce Dickinson chose to go his separate way, and Blaze, you know, Blaze was brought in by Steve Harris to to be the replacement singer, and they recorded two albums, and then almost simultaneously, I mean, it wasn't exactly at the same time, but Judas Priest was going through their problems with with Rob, and Rob wanted to do a solo project, the band wanted to continue, and so Rob did his solo project, uh, which was Fight, and then. Uh, the band was kind of left in limbo, and then eventually it it was it was figured out that Rob wasn't coming back, so they got a new singer. They got Tim Ripper Owens, and they recorded two albums before they reunited with Rob. Iron Maiden recorded two albums before they reunited with Bruce. So we have a we have a really good you know two album versus two album kind of head to head thing here. We're not going to be picking on the albums per se. You know, we're not we're not breaking them down song by song, but we're going to break in breaking down the performances of each of the individual bands and, and what they did during those two albums. So, um, which one do you want to do first? You want to do Blaze or Ripper? I mean, chronologically, it would be Blaze. So let's start off with Blaze. Okay. So Blaze, Blaze Bailey. He was singer for Iron Maiden from 1994 to 1999. And it was very early '99. Actually, he got fired in January of '99. January 1994 to January 1999. Look at that! So that was a, a solid five years. All right. So Blaze released two albums with Iron Maiden: "The X Factor" in 1995 and "Virtual 11" in 1998. He also included a single that they recorded uh, named. Virus in 1996, which was part of their Best of the Beast compilation. So let, let's talk a little bit about their the, this particular time period for, for Blaze. Blaze entering Iron Maiden and recording their first album, or that first album with them, or, which would end up being, that was their 10th album at that point. W- what, what are your thoughts on 
Blaze entering Iron Maiden at that time? I mean, supposedly he was brought into the band after they introduced or they interviewed and auditioned hundreds of singers. To me, like just just wrapping my head around that, I find that really hard to to grasp because that <laughs> means that there were like, and I don't want to I don't want to criticize the guy too much because he he seems like a really nice guy. Um, I've enjoyed interviews with him. Um, but for me, I just, I've never really cared for his voice that much. So somehow this means that there were hundreds of other singers that were less appealing. And I, I don't know. It's just blaze. He has a different vocal style than either guy that came before. I mean, obviously Bruce is very different from Paul. Um, but they still both have this edge to them. And I just don't really find that in in Blaze. So coming, especially coming off of you know having a singer like Bruce, who's just so powerful. Um, I don't know. It just it just seems like such a such a step in a weird direction. I think I think um, that's part of what appealed to Steve. You know that he was very different mm-hmm. from from Bruce, but. I think what where Steve made the mistake was he found a singer that just did not have the range and the capability to replicate the songs that came before him. I mean, it, you know, Bruce could do anything Paul did. Okay, regardless Easily, of how yeah. Paul sounded, Bruce could do anything. Very similar to how Sammy could do anything David Lee Roth could do, but Dave could not do half of what Sammy does. So, you know, in blaze just just does not have the vocal range he's a good singer yeah he, he does he is. In, in his range and in his pocket blaze is a good singer but he to me he didn't fit the iron maiden mold if you if you will mm-hmm. and i think that's where things kind of if you start off that way and you and you're already kind of behind the eight ball i don't think you can really ever get in front of it and I think that that was the, the problem to begin with. Because, like, for instance, with Van Halen, they brought in a guy who was just superb and, and light years ahead of their original singer who had the skills to write good music because, you know, he, he was a successful solo artist. He was an accomplished guitar player. So, yes, Wolf, you know, Wolfbane, which is, Blaze's band before he joined Iron Maiden, they had a record contract. They had a career, but it wasn't a very long career. And it wasn't very well established. I mean, if it was, why would he leave, right? Yeah. So, you know, so so there's there's that to it. He was coming in. It was a tough situation for me, to, to, to in my opinion, because you're, you're replacing Bruce Dickinson. Holy shit. You know, it's like, yeah, that's I mean, a that's lot a, to live up that's to. That's a lot of pressure. Very similar to, right, exactly, a lot of pressure. It's, it's a, you know, the same for Ripper. He had to replace the metal god. I mean, shit. But his voice is a lot different. And we'll get to that later. Yeah. You know, Blaze, Blaze was just, like I said, behind the eight ball to begin with. So they go and they record this album, The, the, the X Factor. Um, and to me... They just they just threw everything out the window that had come before them, to some degree. 
they they decided you know they were going to record at, at steve's studio which they had done the previous couple albums fine so now it's a full-blown studio um they they got rid of the you know the typical eddie artwork um they i have this, to say something about that because this album cover is is awful it's god awful <laughs> It's the worst Iron Maiden album cover by far, and uh, it, it's it, it's like a little puppet character that's being sliced up on on a uh, um, what do you call it the electric chair. It's it's so bad, um, and it's so indicative of of that era of the band too. Like it just it, why <laughs> why start off. It, with such a bad approach like i don't know who looked at that and thought it looked cool and approved it it's so bad it's yeah i mean and that that's you know it's almost like part of their cheese factory it was such a goofy looking character because it would look very rubbery it just did not look good it was a really distorted version or new or a really distorted new version of eddie and it was terrible yeah i mean so you, t- for, you know, for it to be worse than dance of death is is saying a lot <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, you know, they record this album, and they it's it's a mixture. I guess you could say it's a, it's a mixture of some of the stuff that I, I guess would be that was on Fear of the Dark. It was a kind of that uh, a, a little bit more advanced version of Fear of the Dark, but without the the, the good songs because there's only a few of them on fear of the dark that 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 fear of the dark has um so to think about this the blaze era starts with an 11 minute 17 second song that is really slow mm-hmm. then it picks up the tempo a little bit at the beginning you know it it, it it's a slow pace song and then at the 757 mark of the song it picks up to you know the, the 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 fast lead solo you know and then it goes back to the mid tempo and then it kind of slows down and ends that's sign of the cross the the first song as much as they consider it a classic now that they're they're playing it on the legacy of the beast tour it's still you know to me not up to par with some of the other songs but you know it is it is what it is that's 11 minutes of the first song you're hearing from this guy that doesn't even live up to Bruce Dickinson's legacy. That's tough. That's really tough. I mean, I feel bad. I like, or felt I bad. like the song a lot. It's just really odd placement on the album. Uh, 11, oh, 11 yeah. minute song to start the album. And this is, this is what uh, your, your quick injection song that's supposed to get you hyped and, you know, in the mood of the album it it doesn't make sense. It's it's badly placed. Um, but there's re- honestly to me, there's really not anything else on the album that feels like an opening track either. I would give it to Man on the Edge, the next song, because that's just, the third song. Just structure wise, it's very reminiscent to Evil That Men Do. It has this kind of kind of this yeah but evil evil that men do is not even a opening track <laughs> no it's not but but you know when you hear evil that men do you know it starts off with that little intro and then you know you just hear nickel 
and it goes into the to the main riff. At least it has that to it. No, the Man it, on the Edge is very similar. You're right, but at the same time, I, I stick by what I'm saying in that I don't feel like there's a song that's a strong opener, though. That that would be the closest. No. You're right. You're you're 100 right there. That would be the closest. I mean, f- for what for what you have to pick. I yeah, don't know, yeah. I think the songs <laughs> in the album, <laughs> that would be the one. Yeah, to pick. that would be the one to pick, but. Uh, it should, it, you know, there you you've got other every other Iron Maiden album pretty much has a has a solid opener of some type, including including Virtual Eleven. Yes, because v- Virtual so, Eleven has a much better opener, uh, right? And uh, honestly, there's a lot of factors about that album, no pun intended, um, that uh, <laughs> I like better than this one. And, and it's weird, yes, but we'll get into that in a second. So, so Man on the Edge is not a bad song. It's not a terrible song. It's, it, I mean, it's like you would consider that one of the weaker Bruce era songs if it, if it was sung by Bruce. But it would still be a decent song. I mean, probably better than some of the stuff that was on Fear of the Dark. Um, and then they also have Lord of the Flies on this album. That's an okay song as well. It, again, it's it's the first three songs are not horrible. But you can tell there's such a different atmosphere with Iron Maiden now. And it's like, what is going on? You know, you have a very dry vocal sound. The, you know, the band, the band sounds fine, but there's something, just something amiss. Something's off. Yeah, it's, it's the, to me, it's like the culmination of the last two, well, like the direction the last two albums went. Cause I'm not, honestly, I, I'm not a fan of uh, either of the last two albums, um, No Prayer for the Dying or Fear of the Dark. I like some stuff off of Fear of the Dark, especially the title track. I think is a great track, um, but the, the, I just don't really care for those albums that much. And then this is this really does flow logically in the in the next direction, um, but I see why Bruce was fed up and wanted to leave. I see why Adrian was fed up and wanted to leave. You know, it just it's not a direction that I like for Iron Maiden. And uh well, it just, you know, it, I have a hard time listening to either of these albums. I, I I do too, you know, and and I've picked the one or two songs that I like and that's all I listen to. You know. So, you know, for me, the performances from the band are pretty good on X Factor, the performance. I'm not. I'm not talking about the songs. Yeah, you know, I'm not their talking quality about the of playing. The, yeah, yeah, the quality of playing is very good. Um, and and I tell you what, I mean, Blaze is giving it his all. He's he's doing as much as he possibly can. The album also, on top of the the the, you know, subpar songwriting is also also got subpar production. So that's that's another problem with it, and it doesn't get any better production-wise, when they go into Virtual 11. Uh, that was even worse in terms of production because yes. they were trying to r- get some dry sound. And by this point, the band is just doesn't sound uh, very uh, enthusiastic. They don't sound like they're into what they're doing. No, there's, there's an utter lack of energy, and I think that's one of the biggest factors. And I think just knowing Bruce, if you've listened to his audiobook or seen an interview with him, the guy just has energy. 
And I think that it's infectious. You know, you, you watch it and you feel hyped up watching the guy. So, yeah. so you know, there's there's a factor there of that, that kinship and was gone. You know, and this is a new relationship. I don't, I don't see Blaze as, as anywhere close to as much of the energy, the, the energizer battery, that uh, <laughs> that Bruce is. Right, and you know, by this time, you know, he Yannick is in the band now for five years. Okay, but he's essentially a hired gun. Um, Nico has been is. is being, you know, well, Dave and Nico have been the longest at this point. Uh, Dave being, uh, you know, an original guy, and Nico being there since peace of mind. But Nico, okay, so you know, I was going to talk about this a little bit later on with, the, with this album, but let, let's talk about this now. Nico's performance on on this album is about as un-Nico as it gets. I don't understand what what it is you know rumor had it that he didn't play any album um i would almost guarantee that 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 rumor would be true but rumor it, you know it has been supposedly shut down you know he, there's no drum fills it, it's almost robotic sounding yeah to yeah, listen to the to the drums it's terrible you're in right. that regards I mean, there's, it, it, you know, for some songs it works, I guess you could say, but even when you listen to Future Real, I think that's the reason why Future Real doesn't really, you know, pop off the, off the CD, off the vinyl, because there's, there's something lacking with the performance of the drums and the band itself. Blaze has given it his all, you know, but it's almost like they, they all phoned it in. And, and that's the rumor that's on there, you know, that basically they told Nickel, eh, don't do as many fills. And he said, fine. He phoned it in. You know, to me, it sounds like his drum tech is playing on, on his set. And, that, and that's what they recorded, you know. And you never it's, know it's we- from the suit, the, the stories that you hear from producers, uh, you never know. Because, I mean, there's a lot of bands that apparently don't even record anything on their album other than the singer. <laughs> yeah, and it, actually, you know, you hear all these stories that came out years later from Kiss. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. But you know, it, I and Iron Man is as tight as that. You know, they 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 keep a really strong hold on the information that comes in and out of that band. Very similar to ACDC. Even ACDC to me is the tightest of any band out there. But it's one of those things. So you know, you're talking about you're talking about virtual 11 and it starts off with future real and you there's a lot of promise with that song because this is such a classic iron maiden style song it's it's the song opener to me it it immediately harkens to the fact that this is going to be the 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 tour show opener i mean there's no doubt about it in my mind so you know and i actually got to see this tour i got to see this band this tour in a club when this album came out, a club. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Think about that. I mean, I saw them in the same club that I saw Sepultura, White Zombie, Anthrax. At that point, they were they were a club band. I mean, a, a club. Think about it. It holds no more than two thousand people, and they were playing this 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 tour. They were promoting this tour or this album. You know, so it was it was a weird feeling. 
And I mean, it was a good show, but it's not Bruce. So you got Future Real, and then they got they, they got this other song, "The Angel and the Gambler," and I'm like, Ugh. it goes on about five minutes too long. Five minutes too long. There's about sixteen too many choruses on there of, of you know. Don't you think I'm a freaking whatever savior or whatever it is that he keeps saying? It, it just it drones on and it drones on and it slows down and he's still singing and he's still doing his thing and he's still asking if he's a savior and it comes back and he's still saying it and he's still saying it and I was like, come on, dude, that could have been done ten minutes ago, you know. And and the same thing kind of that's the the real thing about this album is just the the constant repetition of stuff that happens throughout this album is one of the biggest criticisms of it. It's not Blaze's fault because a lot of these songs are Harris's. So it's, you know, it's Harry's fault. But at the same time, that's what Blaze has to do. That's what he's got to sing. That's what he's got to sing. But that's the that's, best song. That's what? indicative of the, the relationship that the band members have together. You know, the, obviously right. there was some chemistry that was lacking during this time period, and as as decent as a job that that Blaze could do, um, it just wasn't the same, and it they weren't ever going to put out anything as strong as what would come in the next two years. Uh, I mean, Brave Brave New World is is a fantastic album, and uh, that's you know they they had a brief amount of time to write that music. But it flowed because the the band had, you know, a renewed chemistry, a renewed enthusiasm that followed this. Like this is this to me, this time period is them holding it together, you know, waiting to to reunite. And it, it was it was barely, barely held together. I mean, overall, when you think about it, Bruce was gone for seven years. And it's, you know, he left in 93, came back in 99, and Bruce did so much in that time, you know, but, and and Iron Maiden nearly fell apart during that time. So it's, it it was definitely a tough period of time for the band. It it put a lot of strain on Blaze Bailey in terms of being a singer and and a performer, um, you know, his best performance, to me, his best performance on any of the records, The Klansman, is a great song. And he does a great job on it. And it's it's a, it's a classic. I mean, I love that song. I love the way Bruce sings it. I even like the way, you know, Blaze does it on the album. You know, I can't take that away from him. I mean, but again, no, go on. Sorry. I mean, they did, like, when Bruce came back, they did continue playing a few songs from that era, including Man on the Edge, Future Real, uh, like you said, The Klansman, and Sign of the Cross. So there, there is some carryover from that time period. Bruce is, is more than willing to acknowledge the tracks that came from that time period, which is a testament. You know, that that is a, a plus in Blaze's column, is that, you know, Bruce does sing those songs and he does them very well absolutely i mean that that's that to me is is very egoless kind of way of dealing with it and you know another part of it too is because they're harris's songs steve's like hey you know what we're gonna do this song 
you know? Yeah, and, and, and Steve has a very strong personality, too. Yeah, exactly. And, but that's the thing, though. Like you said before, with the chemistry, you know, when you think back to like the power slave era, the peace of mind, uh, you know, some seventh son of a seventh son or somewhere in time, during that entire period, there was a band chemistry that just was, was unmistakable. And you start messing with that. You know, Adrian Lee's right before No Prayer for the Dying uh, gets set to record. That changes the chemistry. So now you bring in Yannick, which is great. Yannick knows Bruce. Okay, but does Yannick know Steve? Does Yannick know Dave? Does, you know, maybe, they're, maybe they've had a beer or two together before, but they're not close. They didn't share the road with each other for, for years. So there's a different kind of bond. Now it's different, you know. Because Yannick's been there longer than than a lot of the other dudes have been there. He's been there more years than than Adrian has overall, mm-hmm. which is weird, you know. But the chemistry changes. Then Bruce leaves, and the chemistry changes again. But at that point, it looks it's it's more like the Steve Harris band, and everyone's going along with what he says, you know, mm-hmm. because it's almost like, am I going to get fired? You know, like Nico, if you don't want to do it, I'll get another drummer. You know. And and I and I could see that being Steve, uh, Steve's and Rod's uh, Rod Small with the manager. I could see that being Steve and Rod's attitude to some degree. I don't think they would do that with Dave, but I, I could almost see that happening with with uh, with Nico. And you know, and Yannick is just going to be like, yeah, I'm, I'm just here to play guitar, you know. But everything changed when Bruce and Adrian came back. Then it became a band again. You could just sense it. There's six guys now, and they are a band. They're, there's a chemistry that's undeniable in those six guys. Yeah, so. I mean, and they've been doing it for quite a while, and they're still putting out great music. Uh, the the tour that we saw just re- this uh, last two years ago, oh my god, it was so good. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm very happy that they're back in their you know classic lineup whether you know yannick wasn't exactly part of it before but he's part of the family now you know exactly and going back to the blaze era stuff you know bruce does a great job on the clansman and a great job on sign of the cross i mean he he makes sign of the cross his own he has he, he dresses up as as you know with his black cloak and he brings out the lighted cross and you know the clansmen you know they have the the, the thing in the background and you know, he made it their own, or he made it his own, and that's great, you know, so it, it works for them. You know, um, unfortunately, you know, part of the thing, you know, one of the reasons why they, they say they fired Blaze, and, and you know, they could sit there and say this all they want, that, you know, that he, he wasn't cutting it, you know, live because his voice, you know, was shot. Well, yeah, he had, doesn't have the vocal range that Bruce has, you know, so of course his voice is shot. You know, he can't do that. Yeah, there's you know, so you're gonna sit there and not many it. that can. No, and, and, and it's unfortunate because basically he is a victim of the guy before him and the his boss picking the bat, the wrong guy to, to replace the guy before him. You know, that he was a victim of that. And it's a good thing that they went back to Bruce. Because if Steve really was pissed at Bruce and didn't want Bruce back, he would have went with a different singer. Now, the question is, would he have been smart and gone with a guy with a better range? Who knows? We're, we're, we're all better for Bruce being back in the band anyway. So, Blaze era comes to an end in 1999 after two albums. 
and two tours and a single. Um, they did get a couple of classic album songs out of it, so that's okay. But there, it's really a, an empty period of time for Iron Maiden. Mm, tumultuous, to say the least. Yes. All right, so that brings us to a different tumultuous time in the band's career, and that's Judas Priest. And with Judas Priest, um, Rob Halford recorded Painkiller in 1999 with Judas Priest. And basically, you know, guys, he checked himself in rehab and, or, or he, he basically needed to get away from the, the grinding machine that was Judas Priest. Uh, the band said, yeah, go ahead, do a solo project. He went and did that project. And I don't know if it was a matter of he liked it so much he wanted to do something more permanent and the band wanted to do something and he didn't want to do it. I don't know the details of that. I and I don't know if he mentioned anything of the details in the book. You read the book. I have yet to read it. He, um, he I mean, he does go over a bit of it. Um, so basically, he left, uh, he left Judas Priest. He wanted to do a solo album. He did War of Words uh, with uh, Fight. Uh, that was in 1993. So, uh, statistically, they say that that Rob Halford left Judas Priest officially in 1992, and that had to do with him signing a, a uh, basically signing away that he was a member of the band. It was it was something that the the the, the record company had him do, and it had to do with um, you know they they wanted basically his name not associated with with. Judas Priest, like the the solo stuff, and then basically he was supposed to be able to just walk back in the door when he wanted to. Well, the the problem was that he did uh, War of Words, then he did uh, a small deadly space. He just kept doing solo stuff and never came back to Judas Priest. They weren't communicating whatsoever. So by the time that that he was ready to come back from what he says. They had found a new singer and they were moving on. There, you have to understand, like from 1992 to 1996, when when they actually hired Tim Ripper Owens, four years, he did basically not have any communication with Judas Priest. So, at what point do they give up and they go, okay, well he's not coming back. Let's move on. We we had a conversation similar to this recently. <laughs> uh, I can't remember what it was. I I I I I totally understand. I mean, you know, what are you going to do? Oh, I know it. it it's the um, Scott Rockenfeld in Queensrÿche. You know, mm. he left for paternity leave and hasn't come back yet. So, do you replace him or do you you know hold a seat? Well, right now he's been temporarily replaced. So we'll see what happens with that. Um. Yeah, you. If if a guy doesn't show up for work, you're gonna get a replacement. Someone's got to fill his shoes. Tim Ripper Owens was the guy chosen to fill his shoes. Yeah, he was chosen. He was chosen from a Judas Priest cover band. Yeah, there was tape circulating around, um, and the internet was new, and so they they actually came across his his uh, his tapes and listened to you know, him doing covers of their own music and thought, well, this guy can actually sing what Rob can sing. And that's one of the biggest differences between him and, and Blaze is that 
that uh, Ripper actually has the range to cover Judas Priest songs. And that that's a huge factor. Because if they would have gotten, you know, a, a Bruce impersonator, they probably would have gotten a little farther along. You know, you don't want necessarily the same guy who's doing the same moves, but you want a guy with the same range. You want a guy with that pitch because you, you want a guy with an air raid siren, you know, mm-hmm. and if you don't, if you, if you get a bullhorn, you're going to get a bullhorn sound. Okay. <laughs> if you get an air raid siren, you're going to get an air raid siren sound. They got a bullhorn. So, you know, with, with priest, they, they hire Ripper Owens, an American to replace Rob Halford. And he's got the chops. There's never been a doubt in my mind about the ability that Tim Ripper Owens has. But for me, the the era that's mar- that that he is in the band is is marked by a lot of different problems, and you know between one album and the other, there's there's different problems with each of these albums. In my opinion, I know you have a different opinion on them, <laughs> and so I, I want to let you talk more about it because you're more in favor of uh, some of the stuff that Ripper did. So you can go ahead and talk about that. All right, so as you mentioned, uh, Ripper was was part of a cover band called British Steel, uh, which was actually the same band as his his main band, which was Winter's Bane. So part of the time he they were acting as Winter's Bane, part of the time they were British Steel. Um, he gained some notoriety uh, and uh, and a uh, a following due to his ability to sing, which as you mentioned, I mean he he. He's an excellent singer. There's no doubt in anyone's mind, I think, that he has he has vocal chops. Um, so the Judas Priest sees the sees the uh, you know the tapes, recognizes that this guy can do what Rob can do, and you know bring him on board. That being said, if you look at the writing credits, Tim doesn't have any writing credits. Uh, this is this is mostly. Uh, Glenn Tipton led era of the band uh, with KK, you know, performing a, a lot of uh, writing as well. Uh, but, you know, this is this is the, the rhythm section uh, really leading the band without Rob there to do the vocals uh, or do the uh, the lyrics. Um, there's a different tone because Rob had, you know, very bright um you know, savior-driven lyrics. You know, the, these metal gods, these metal messiahs. You know, the, these the saviors of man. Whereas this is a much darker tone. You know, Jugulator is their first release in. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, Jugulator is their first release in 1997, and it takes a much darker tone with kind of more um, apocalyptic lyrics. You know. Uh, more kind of based around like 90s grit uh like i would say you know for instance like in the 90s in comics uh, you saw a shift from you know the typical you know jolly heroes fighting the villains to you know frank miller wrote dark knight returns and that changed everything everything became grittier and darker and movies started to take on that appearance etc and that that definitely carries over into the music as well and this is this is a different judas priest so one thing that's interesting also to note 
is that Glenn Tipton says they basically have two albums in between, which is a curious comment we were both kind of wondering about the other day, where Glenn says that for them it was a logical step because they had already, you know, basically had two albums in between that just weren't released or um, never materialized or some, something along yeah, lost. So we don't we don't really know the story of how they got from point A to point B, um, but he, there's definitely a different style here. Um, it's it's darker, grittier, like I said, and it's it's uh, it takes some getting used to. If you if you're a classic Judas Priest fan, it's it's very easily could turn you off. And and basically that's what it did to me. It turned me off, but you know what? I can get past. I can get past lyrical content. I can get past production of an album. But for me, you know, and we've talked about this countless times on the show. I'm a hooks guy. I like a hook. I mean, and there there are certain bands and songs that don't have a hook that are still good. Don't get me wrong. You know, a, a good riff is a good riff. But when you throw 20 good riffs and they don't make sense together, then it's a problem because you need a melody that goes along with it to, to bring it all together. And I think to me, in my opinion, that's what kind of ruins a lot of Jugulator for me. Now, you and I had a conversation the other day and I said it was a terrible album. I went back and I listened to it again. I gave it more of an open mind and it's not as terrible as I as I said it was that day but it still to me lacks in a lot of areas it's it there are some good performances on there there are some good riffs on there there are some things that i can bop my head to but there are some things that just really kind of like shake my i shake my head at with that with that album i i mean you and i we talked about this before, but we need to we need to say it here. I I like this album a lot. I'm a huge fan of this album. For me, when I think of Judas Priest uh, albums that I really enjoy, I mean, obviously Painkiller is my favorite, as I've said before. Um, but this is up there. Uh, there's something about it that it's so heavy, it's so dark. It, the The riffs are awesome. I remember all of these songs, which I can't say for all of the albums um but i i really enjoy it there's something that's that's you know different in our styles like obviously i like a lot of death metal i like you know different stuff than you do um but we we really could not have more different opinions on this album <laughs> yeah i mean it's it you know in my opinion with this album you know like i said it doesn't have a lot of hooks and and even Glenn has admitted that the album is not as melodic as Demolition. Um, another thing that kind of just grates on my nerves about this album is that you could you can have a, a song or two maybe that has an intro that's unrelated. When I say unrelated, it's not musical. Sort of like um, I forgot who who had a song. I, I don't know if it, I think it may have been um, Biohazard. I can't remember exactly. There was a song that had a, an intro from the movie The Punisher, and they used a lot of the intro. Uh, you know, there was there was some sounds, there were some noises. It was an actual clip from the movie, and you know, there's some words said, 
and it's part of the Punisher, and, it, and the song has to do with the Punisher. And you, when you when you think about it, it's it, it fits. But like in this one, you know, in, in this album, they have uh, an intro in, in on Jugulator, which I don't get. There's uh, uh, the Bullet Train song has a train station intro. So yeah, so you 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 put a train station intro, you know, a, a sound of people at a train station because the song is Bullet Train. You know what? As as logical as that sounds, they don't they don't make sense together to me. The same thing with Death Row has that intro with the guys in jail and he's you know these. This is quiet talk, and then all of a sudden you hear a phone call, and it, they're talking to some goofy ass dude who answers the phone. You know, he's the death row attendant. I, I, I'm assuming. You know, he's the guy waiting for people to call, and or maybe he's the dude waiting for the governor to put a stay on the execution. Who knows? That's exactly what he is. You know, but at that at, at that point, you know, he doesn't sound like he sounds like a goofy dude. You know, and then you know, all of a sudden, it's like you know, all right, you know, you're you're gonna die now, whatever. I don't. He doesn't say it that way, but then they, you know, they start walking, and the dude says, you know, you're dead man walking, because that's what they they tell every guy who's getting executed. He's a dead man walking when he when they pass him through all the other player, the other prisoners, and that's that's. I mean, that's a dickhead move, but you know, they just it didn't sound right to me, but. At least that one's more appropriate, but there's it's almost like three different segments inside the intro, and you go a minute six before the song starts, and then the song, it doesn't even fade into the song. It literally just kind of like stops, and then the song starts. Dead meat with a dog that sounds like he's snoring because it sure as shit don't sound like he's growling to me. You know, it. I was just that was putting it put me off. It was a put off to me. To, you know, See, I, I guess I like them because I, there's there's other albums that I'm familiar with that do the same thing. In fact, the first three Children of Bottom albums have the same kind of thing. They, they, but is it every song? Well, uh, at least two songs per album, at least. See, so I, see, I can deal with it with one or two songs. This one ended up being like three songs in a row, you know. And it's like, come on. But just the, music. But <laughs> obviously, it just doesn't appeal to you in that way. Like, the, there's there's there are concepts to the this album where it's it's uh, you know it's it's basically got some technological aspects etc so so there there are facets to the album that they were trying to kind of tie in together and for you musically it just doesn't appeal to you um Whereas for me, I, I love the album. So <laughs> I mean, you, I, you know what? More power to you that you like the album. I'm glad someone does. <laughs> but I just, you know, it, it does not do anything for me whatsoever. You know, there's a like I said, there's a couple of highlights. I mentioned to you that, you know, you go 10 songs into the album before you get to the best song. I mean, that to me is tough. I, you know, your opinion is like you like the whole album, so that that's not the same kind of comment you're gonna make. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if when when we go, you know, a few years later and they put out Demolition, it to me is a completely different story. You know, Demolition is to me a more logical step for Judas Priest than Jugulator. 
and and even to me, even the vocal performance for 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 Ripper is more Judas Priest esque than say the stuff that's on Jugulator, you know, and 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 that that's so Demolition appeals more to me. There's more hooks on the album. There's to me, there's better riffs. There's better songwriting in general. Well, on that album. part of it is Jugulator has some thrash elements, and that's kind of out of Judas Priest's wheelhouse. Uh, at least, you know, if, to the ears of the average fan. Um, you know, Judas Priest isn't really known for thrash. And then you t- you go to Demolition, and it goes back on more to the, the heavy metal kind of sound to it. There is some new metal, like with the, the, the rapping in Metal Messiah. There's some, some industrial kind of elements to it. Um, you know, but... This is definitely more in back in line with what they were doing before. Yeah, I mean, it's, what's funny is you know on the Jugular album, KK had more input, um, and he wrote with with Glenn. Where where Demolition is all Glenn, everything's Glenn, mm-hmm. and you know production wise, Glenn. I mean, this is like a Glenn Tipton solo album with the Judas Priest band backing them up, and it it, it but it works better for me, you know. Um, it just it starts off better, in my opinion. You know, as opposed to a, a slow plotting song that then picks up in the middle. You know, it just comes straight out and kicks your ass right from the you know right from the beginning. Um, you know, it, it, it there's and on top of that, like Jugulator was it was really strange. Like you said, it was very techno technological album, kind of weird. It, it was trying to bring in so many new elements that was coming of, of age in the nineties. It sounds great. And it, to me, it sounds actually better than Demolition. Demolition to me sounds like it was recorded in several places because there's some parts of it that sound like it could have been recorded in, in, in early 90s, late 80s priest time. And then there's some other songs where all of a sudden the, the sonics are so much better. You know, the bass is better. The bass drum is better. Yeah, the guitars can, are clearer. I can see that. You know, it... And it and it's like the last two three songs on the album, so it's it's really strange. And then there's some weird things like on Jugulator. There's some weird technique that that um, that uh, Glenn did. Uh, and like on the song Decapitate, you'll hear these kind of like um, these bass pops throughout the album, throughout the excuse me, throughout the song. And it's almost like when you go to the movies and and, and you know, you get that sound that happens. They have a few of those, not like, not in exactly that same manner, but where that bass, where it almost becomes like a, a vacuum and you, your hearing goes, goes dead flat. There's some really interesting distortion on Jugulator. Uh, they, I mean, he, they, he really pushed the instruments in a, in a, a different direction. I guess would be the best way to put it. There's, exactly. There's there's some interesting sonics, for sure. Right. So so demolition is is to me a, a a natural Judas Priest album. You know, to me Ripper singing in his natural register as opposed to forcing a lower register because there's a lot of lower register singing that that Ripper does in Jugulator that I don't think is necessary. But that's my opinion. Um, 
he's singing more normal, which is fine because he can still hit that high note, which is what you what he's known for at that point. Why he's in the band, you know, um, even the drumming, you know, Scott's drumming. I mean, you would almost put those two together. You wouldn't think it's the same drummer. You know, you would you would sit there and say that both drummers are very very skilled, but you almost don't think it's the same drummer. And then you know, I mean, I wouldn't hear- necessarily agree with that, but but I mean, I I know Scott Travis's range too. I know I mean, like, Scott Travis, hands down, is one of the best drummers on the planet. I'm not I'm not taking anything away from what he did on either album. It just to me, it sounds like two different drummers. They're both great performances, production-wise, and and the way the song. It, it, a lot of it has to do with the way the songs are structured. There's so much going on, and the different kind of, uh, I guess the, the 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 influences that are happening on Jugulator are different than what's happening on Demolition. And Demolition sounds more natural drumming, whereas Jugulator, to me, it sounds like there's a lot of, um, we're trying to be like this as a band, and you know the drums are affected by that. Again, the performance is, there's nothing wrong with the performance, and there's nothing wrong with the recording. It's it's just the, the structure. I mean, there's... And, Dude, trust me. I love I love what Scott does on both albums. Don't go, don't get me wrong there. So it's it's just to me that the sound makes it different. So the other thing too on Demolition, which is really strange, is there are three full blown ballads on this album, um, and one you could almost say like a half ballad, but and it includes that the song Lost and Found is almost like acoustic almost all the way through. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's that's also very different for Judas Priest, um, and nothing wrong with that. But you know, you're talking about a band that that barely had one ballad per album for for a while, if that. You know, they didn't even have they you know, they had it early, early, early in their career. They got away from it, and then they had you know, I mean, you think about what whatever ballad they may or may not have had on Painkiller or. On, tur- on Turbo, or what was the other one on? Because on, um, there's no ballad on Screaming for Vengeance. Um, uh, did they have one on, uh, what the hell is that album? Ram It Down? Yeah, did they have one on Ram It Down? I, I can't recall. But regardless, you know, when they slow down the songs, it's, it's, it's different for Priest. You know, Touch of Evil... It's not it's not super slow ballad like, but it's a slower song and it gives it a different feel. But these are three full blown ballads, like straight up. This and is definitely a time period of exploration, trying to do something different. And, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. That's that's kind of the the downfall. I, I think similarly to what we were saying about Iron Maiden was that there there wasn't the same kind of chemistry. I mean, obviously, they they weren't having Ripper write songs. This was the band kind of splintered in a way. Uh, Glenn go, going kind of into himself and writing this music. That being said, I do like a lot of it. It's it's just it's not the typical Judas Priest. So I can see why a fan would be turned off. They wouldn't necessarily enjoy the this this era of the band. Uh, especially when you go from Painkiller to Angel of Retribution, and it sounds like they just picked up right where they left off. But that—that's another factor. Is that that's 
that's the same band from that point to to the next you know mm-hmm. next right. era 15 years later um but i can definitely see why somebody would be turned off this is this is a different band essentially you know this is this is glenn tipton writing music and the band's playing with him just like yeah. just like it's steve harris writing music and the band the band's playing with him Right, exactly. It's a, it's the same type of thing, and in in both cases, you it would be considered a failure because Virtual Eleven was the band Iron Maiden's worst album to date, and I would think Demolition was their worst album to date at this point. Even though I like it more than I like Jugulator, but I think there was a lot of promise with Jugulator because it was such a shock to the system, but people liked it. And but demolition came out and it was you know when 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 all the chips finally fell after Jugulator it wasn't as good as and so by the time demolition came around plus it was also many years later they they had a huge break in between mm-hmm. which is which well, for, Iron Maiden uh, didn't as much right and and that's the thing like for a band like Priest you know you go from you lost your the the, the last album you did was Painkiller in 1990 it takes seven years to put out your next album you know yeah you're going through tumultuous time you're trying to keep your singer on board but it fails then you 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 come out with jugulator you 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 give everyone that that album but then again you know now it's now four years later again where you until you put out another album i mean you kind of kept them interested with the live albums in between but you know that doesn't that doesn't always help. Um, yeah, that's true. But that being said, we do have to mention there were two live albums during this time period. There's 1998 uh, with 98 Live Meltdown, and 2003 with Live in London. Uh, both of those I've listened to them. I I own them. Um, they're great. I really I really enjoy them. When Ripper's doing the 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 Halford era stuff, he does it extremely well. And some of the live versions, especially I, I my favorite of the two is Live Meltdown. Um, it I think the stuff that he covers from the the from the Jugulator album sounds really good here too. So if you haven't checked that one out, it's definitely worth listening to. I think it's the better of the two live. Excuse me. I think it's the better of the two live albums. And another thing that's really interesting to note is um, that the band was actually up for a Grammy Award for their performance on Bullet Train, uh, but they did end up losing to Metallica's Better Than You. (laughs) I'm better than you, and you know it. Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. All right. Um... Yeah, the the live albums are pretty good. I actually was listening to some of it today. I like it. The production's good on it. Um, yeah, that's that is a, a very good note. Is that the production is actually very good, and we all know that that's a big factor in live albums. Oh, it's a huge factor in live albums. Uh, Testament still hasn't figured that out <laughs> after mm-hmm. all these years. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, like again. M- I my my preference is demolition over jugulator, um, so you know it, it's it's one of those things where you know Ripper had his his um, detractors, Blaze had his detractors, 
They both had their problems within the band as far as, you know, being able to win over fans uh, because of, of the way the albums came out. These, for both bands, it was a very tumultuous time. Iron Maidens was a much shorter period of time. It was only seven years. Judas Priest, Rob was not in the band for, what, 14 years? You know, almost 15. Mm-hmm. It, it's that That's a huge period of time. Blaze... I mean, excuse me, not Blaze. Um, Ripper was in the band for essentially, um, you know, seven, seven years. Yeah, seven years. So it's it's there's a similarity there, but you know, Judas Priest was without Rob for a lot longer than Iron Maiden was without Bruce. Yeah, um, I mean, so, Iron Maiden kept trucking, and and uh, Judas Priest was waiting for Rob to come back, and he just didn't. Yeah. All right. So that being said, um, we've we've spoken about the two singers. Um, we, I'm going to put it this way: I think Ripper Owens is a better singer than Blaze Bailey when it comes down to what they've done with each of these bands. But I'm going to my preference is. Iron Maiden in this situation only because when I sit there and I put the CDs on or I put the records on or I, I listen to it on Spotify, I know it's Iron Maiden. When I put on Jugulator and some of Demolition, I can't tell if that's Judas Priest or not. And that that to me is the biggest difference for me. What well, do you got? Well, for me, it, it doesn't matter. Um, I don't care if it's Judas Priest or not in, in my mind or whatever. I, I go based on what, whether it's a good album or not. And I can't say that X Factor or Virtual Eleven is a good album, either of them. I, I can't listen to them. Uh, it, that's that's the fact. Is that I can count on my hands between the two albums uh, how many songs. I say hands. I can count on one hand how many songs I actually like on both of those albums. For me, I I really enjoy Jugulator. I think it's such a great heavy album. Um, it's I think it's a it's an overlooked gem to be honest, and it's really hard to find because of of the the label that it was released on, and it's not on a, like Spotify and all those. Um, Demolition I like more than half the album. So uh, for me, two al- two or one and a half albums that I that I really enjoy versus five songs that I really enjoy. And the fact that there's two live albums that, that are fantastic and <laughs> Iron Maiden didn't get a Grammy nomination during that time either. So <laughs> um, I'm not going to put a lot of stock on the Grammy nomination. I'm not either. I'm just throwing that one in as a joke. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I just, I have to go with Ripper uh, or the Ripper era because it just, it just it it resonates with me. I sing songs from Jugulator in my head all the time. Like I remember all those tracks. Like one I, thing I to love know, um, that that's very dis- different too is that Rob Halford has yet to sing a song from these two albums. Although he has said he's open to doing so, only recently. I st- and I think most of that's because he was so hurt. And especially when he mentions it in his book, he 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 didn't even listen to Judas Priest during that time because he was so hurt. You know, and it's, it's a weird thing because I, I, I speculate that Bruce, the entire time he was out of Iron Maiden still kept ties with Iron Maiden. 
he still kept in touch with Rod Smallwood. Uh, obviously, he was in touch with Adrian Smith. So there was a lot of connection there that he was still kind of intertwined with the band. Mm-hmm. Rob Halford had zero connection, zero communication with the band for such a long period of time. But the problem was when they finally got back together, it was just like the floodgates opened and it was like, yeah, this guy Ripper, goodbye. You know, and Rob was back. Yeah, and Rob was dealing with a lot of his his personal issues at that time, uh, which if you read his book, um, it's it's very obvious what those those personal demons were, and uh, I think that's a huge factor in why he hasn't addressed this era of the band. It's almost it's almost non-existent. Right, and and even in the in the the stuff like you said, it's not on you can't find on Spotify. So there's there's a, a collective effort to keep it hidden if you if you will. And the other thing too is, you know, there the the, the the tumultuousness that was was part of the Judas Priest also had a lot to do with, you know, even though Rob may or may not have signed away whatever he signed away, he also owned the name and mm-hmm. he owned, uh, he had the he trademarked the logo so they couldn't use that logo for those years. So Judas Priest had to come up with a whole new logo for themselves. And that sometimes that hurts. I mean, some bands, you know, like Motley Crue never have the same logo. You band like Metallica has used two different logos and they've kind of refined their their original logo to what they have now. So technically it's a third. Actually they've 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 used four because the Saint Anger logo is different. Um so you know, logos sometimes are important to bands and sometimes they're not. But Judas Priest could not use their logo, um, so that was that was another thing that they had to go through some legalities to get to that point. So a lot of tumultuousness. So uh, it's fair to say you you chose the the Ripper years. I chose the Blaze years. Um, that being said, we're going to get to the Big Four portion of tonight, which we're going to pick the Big Four songs from each of the vocalists and their respective time periods in the bands. So I think it's your turn to go first. So I, you can go do the Tim Ripper Owens era. All right. So for my big four Judas Priest songs, uh, I've got number four as Metal Messiah off of Demolition. I really like this track. Um, I, I think it really shows some progressiveness in the band. I don't usually like new metal. Um but I think the vocals here are just really nice. Um, it, it's it's unfortunate, um, you know, that it's at the very end of the album, I guess. So probably a lot of people haven't even heard this song. Uh, but I think it's a really solid track. Uh, number three is the, the title track, Jugulator, off of Jugulator. Um, I love the opening. Uh, it's It's... It's definitely one of those moments where it's like you can tell there's a drastic difference from anything else. And I, I got to say, I I had no idea. Like when I first started listening to Judas Priest, uh, I, I started around British Steel. I went from there and then I went back later and listened to those older albums. But basically I went from 
British Steel on to Painkiller. When I got to Painkiller, I I just stuck with that album for a long period of time. And I didn't know their history as much back then. And so when I got Jugulator, I, uh, you know, I was taken aback because it was obviously it wasn't Rob. It was something different. But I enjoyed it so much that it just it's one of those songs that's stuck with me uh, over the years. Um, number two is Cathedral Spires off of Jugulator. Um, I love this track because it really shows off how great of a singer Ripper is. He, he does, so, he goes from very low to extremely high, showing off his range. He, he, I mean, he, he play, he sings like four different octaves. Uh, it's, it's incredible. And the build of the song, I just love. And then number one is Burn in Hell. I I adore this track. It's just such a it's just such a killer um, like riff. It's a killer uh, chorus. I love the song. Um, even if you haven't heard any of the other stuff, I recommend this one above all others. It's my favorite uh, from the the Ripper era. I gotta say, this this big four. You and I have four completely different songs. So that's, that's, and it's, I, I thought we were going to have a little bit of crossover, but we have <laughs> zero crossover on this. We're going to have a ton of crossover on, on Blaze. I, I can almost feel that. But, um, all right. So, yeah, because my... there's only five good tracks. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, my big four uh, Judas Priest tim ripper owens songs number four is bullet train um despite the fact that it has that silly little train station intro it's a super cool song i like it um you know the 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 songs i picked on for for this big four i like these songs do i love these songs i'm gonna probably put one or two of these on my playlist yeah um not gonna put jugulator on there <laughs> but it's still you know it's it's tough for me it's it, it these were songs that i i definitely had to listen to over and over and over again all right um number three is one-on-one from the demolition album i thought that was pretty cool it's got a that chorus has got a killer hook to it and that's again one of the things that attracts me to songs number two is Bloodstained. That's off of Jugulator, right? So Mm -hmm. there is something redeeming. Like I said, there was, you know, it it took a while to get through it. It took a while to get to some good stuff, but there is a little bit on there. So um, Bloodstained is one of them. And then the other song that I like a lot, and it's my number one song, is Bloodsuckers. That's a cool song. I like that song a lot. That one is going on my playlist. Um, the chorus is just killer. The The really weird thing about that song, it's got the strangest, strangest song structure because it's not your typical verse-chorus type of thing. It's like it's verse, bridge, chorus, pre-chorus. You know, it, 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 it doesn't have your regular verses in the same setup. Like they change the riffs throughout the song. And they put one riff here and then one riff there, and then they started again. The chorus is only played twice during the song, so it's a it's a unique song structure, but it's a cool song. So that's my big four Tim Owens Judas Priest songs. 
Nice. So I like those tracks. So <laughs> You like them. All right, cool. Well, all right. So that brings us to the big four Blaze Bailey Iron Maiden songs. And I, again, I, you know, you, you and I were joking that there's only so many songs on here that we can pick. So I'm going to go first on this one and you can pick your four. Um, so my number four song for, for Blaze era is Man on the Edge from The X Factor. Um, you know, like I said, it has, there's a reminiscence. It's not, I'm not trying to say it's as good as, but there's a reminiscence to me of the evil that men do. Um, so that kind of makes it cool by itself, but it's not a bad song. Um, it's one of the songs, if it had been the first song on the album, there would have been some like, Hey, this is not a bad album. But then you, you know, you're six minutes into a song and you're like, when is this album going to start? <laughs> you know, uh, with, with sign of the cross. So, but man on the edge is a cool song. Followed up by Lord on the Flies. That's my number three song. Lord of the Flies, also off of X Factor. Um, to me, those are the two best songs that are on X Factor. Um, a lot of people like Sign of the Cross, but man, it just really it has so much to it. It's a very long story. It's a very good song, but it, there's a lot of things about it that I'm like, this is, you know, it, it, it belonged at the end of the album, much like you know, to tame a land or Alexander the great, you know, or hollowed be the name, although it's nowhere near as good as those songs, you know? So there you go. Number two, future real killer way to start off an album. It, it, it almost made me feel like Iron Maiden was back. And then angel and the gamba came on and I was like, what? And they weren't back. <laughs> so that's so number two is future real from virtual 11 and then number one from virtual 11 it is the clansman i hands down love that song um i like blaze's version i like bruce's version that's a killer song we definitely have a lot of c- crossover uh starting with number four man on the edge same as your number four um yeah enough said it's 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 a great uh, what should be the opener, even though to me it's not an opener. It's just it's the closest thing to an opener. <laughs> um, but it's a it's a really good song. I I like it in general, and uh, I, I mean I would prefer to hear Bruce sing it, but uh, you know the version that's on X Factor is really not bad. Uh, number three is Sign of the Cross off of X Factor. I really do enjoy the track as a whole. Um, the version of, of it that Bruce sang when we saw the Legacy of the Beast tour was excellent. And that being said, it's available uh, on some of their live albums. So if you haven't heard his version of it, definitely check that out. Uh, but Blaze sings it very well. And it's, uh, it's, you know, it's a journey cause it's a long track and it shouldn't be the first track on an album. Uh, but it is a really good song. Uh, number two is your number one, the Klansman. Um, it's, it's an awesome track as well. Uh, it, it was, it was also played at the legacy of the beast tour. So they do really continue to bring these back out because they are very good songs. And I do love that, uh, that, uh, Bruce specifies that it's Klansman with a C, uh, <laughs> and then, exactly. and then my number one is your number two future reel. Uh, I, I feel like this song, even though I know the, that it was penned by uh, 
by Blaze Bailey. I felt like this song is written for Bruce. Um, it's just it's just such an Iron Maiden track. It feels like something that uh, is hearkening back to somewhere in time, or you know, some some somewhere around that period. It feels like an Iron Maiden track, and yeah, that's what and I, I think, like about it. I think it. it was Harris wrote the music, and I think Blaze wrote the lyrics. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a great song. And and for the longest time, for the longest time, that's the only song that I paid attention to on Virtual Eleven. Until I realized the Klansman's a pretty damn good song. <laughs> yeah. So, cool. Well, that um, wraps up this head-to-head battle for tonight. Um, some good some good songs, some good conversation. Um, so, why don't you go ahead and close it out for us, Chris? All right, that brings us to the end of today's episode. Remember, if you like what you heard today, be sure to check us out on social media and leave us a comment. Make sure to tune into the next episode when we spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth Dean and myself, stay safe, and remember, always turn it up to 11. See ya.